0: This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 52, and we are recording on October 18th. I'm Amanda Nelson, and I'm here with Jen Northington, and we are coming to you from Book Riot.
1: Greetings! Hello. Welcome. (laughs) I think one of the reasons my brain is so scrambled this morning is because it's eighty degrees again today. It
0: is so (laughs) just obnoxiously hot. (laughs) Like last
1: week, we were talking about making chili and sweaters, and now it's eighty degrees, and I am. And now I'm in
0: a tank top. I know
1: I'm not having it, but you know what? Can you do? (laughs) Uh,
0: Yeah. Um, I wanted to mention before we get started that if you missed it, we had a bonus show this week that went up today. Um, that's an all-mystery-thriller episode that we did with the guest Auzma Zehnat Khan, who's a great mystery author who we've recommended on the show before. So if you missed that, you can go check it out on iTunes or on the show, or I mean on the
1: site, obviously. Um. But yeah, it was fun. It was so fun. That was was a a really fun episode, yeah.
0: All the reading I did for that episode has left me terrified (laughs) to turn my lights out, but you know, price you
1: pay. Same, (laughs) same. (laughs) Um, This is the part where I remind you that Book Riot Live approaches. It's November 12th and 13th, and it's going to be so much fun. Um, The schedule's up online, like the whole thing. So if you've been waiting on that, go check it out, at uh, bookwrightlive.com. And if slash when you buy your tickets, you should use code JAZHANDS, uh, our gift to you, which will get you twenty dollars off the weekend pass or ten bucks off a day pass. And yeah, you should join us, bookwrightlive.com.
0: You should come, really. I just finished reading doing the reading for my uh rewriting history <laughs> panel. Oh yeah. Because I like to read, you know, all the books that the the panelists have written. And um, so I just finished Blood at the roots yeah, which is that a one nonfiction. Easy. Yes. Oh, my gosh. It's so horrifying. I listened to it on audio. Oh, boy. <laughs> OK, it's about a racial cleansing of a Georgia town in the early 20th century. And then the county stayed white until the 90s, until the 1990s somehow. Uh, well, not somehow, because white people right. are the worst in this county. White people are the worst. And... Um, so, what was it? oh, I listened to it on audio and it's read by the author who is from that county, so he mm-hmm. has this, like, very soothing southern drawl, <laughs> which is very disconcerting when you're listening to, like, nonfiction about lynchings, and, and he's right. just like,
1: so soft-spoken. I'm like, this is just weird. Anyway, he's it's an a, excellent book. He's a poet, too, so I'm not surprised he did his own audio, right? Like, poets, I feel yes. like, are used to, like, reading things out loud. That's just interesting. Okay, anyway. Yeah, he so. did a really <laughs> good job.
0: Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, so come see me through this Rewriting History panel. Uh, so, how the show works. Like I said, it's personalized reading recommendations. You send them to us if you have a question about what you should read after you read X book and loved it and don't know what to uh, read next, or if you need something for your book club, you're going on a trip you need a a gift idea whatever uh send them to us you can email them to us at getbooked or you can drop them in the form at the bottom of the show notes on the site Um, if it's a time sensitive question please note that in the subject line or at the top of um your message if you use the form so that we can get to it on time if it's a question we've gotten before or we don't think that we'll be able to answer it in time for whatever it is you're doing then we will email you our answers um Because, you know, we're on episode 52. We don't expect everyone to go back and listen to every episode if we've gotten your question already. So, uh, you, you know, keep an eye on your inbox just in case. All right, uh, let's get started. Yes, so yes. we will read our first question, do our first sponsor, and then we will roll. So it's all Jen.
1: All right, our very first question comes from Dan. Question is: I'm currently reading Nosferatu and watching Blind Spot, so I'm pretty much surrounded by badass tattooed literary women. I thought it would be a fun challenge for you to see what else is out there—books, graphic novels, comics, anything with tattooed, awesome female protagonists. Um, yes, we boy do we have picks <laughs> for you. Um, but our very first sponsor is Wonder Women by Sam Maggs. I just love that there's this whole, uh, like, you know, basically a shelf's worth now of books about women in, uh, the, the hard sciences. And this is another one to add to the shelf that you will definitely want to, cause it's beautiful. Um, In the book, Wonder Women, Sam Maggs introduces us to like 25 pioneering female scientists, engineers, mathematicians, inventors, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And there are these beautiful portraits by Sophia Foster Domino, who is apparently a Google doodler. So like the people who make the Google doodles on, you know, those special occasions, one of them drew the pictures for this book, which I think is really entertaining. Uh, And it also has a guide to present day uh, women-centric STEM work. Organization. So, if you are interested in getting more involved in that, or you just want to know the history of women in STEM, this book is for you. So, that is Wonder Woman, written by Sam Mags, illustrated by Sophia Foster Domino, and uh, yeah, thanks for sponsoring the show. I okay. bet. Okay, I'll just keep going. Um, okay. My very first pick for you is the first book in the Hunter Kiss series by Marjorie Liu. It is called The Iron Hunt, and the heroine, Maxine. Has tattoos that turn into demons. What? (laughs) Super (laughs) exciting. Um, Very good. So, by day, her tattoos are, they're tattoos, and they are, like, literally armor. Like, she has basically unbreakable skin because of these tattoos. And then at night, they remove themselves from her body to become demons, and she uses them to hunt down other demons, because, naturally. Um... And she's kind of like a, you know, Buffy character. Um, She's from A Long Line of Women all of whom are demon hunters, and it gets passed down from mother to daughter um, in this, you know, sort of millennia-long, unbroken chain of women, Um, and she's the latest one, and all of the demons in her world are, like, bound up in this prison, but every now and then one of them breaks free, and at the start of this book, something really, really bad has broken loose, and she doesn't know what it is, and she's trying to figure out how to do it. Um, This book is really fun. I, I started reading it about a week ago. I'm not quite done yet, but there's, like, different kinds of zombies and there's all different like one of the demons that you're like is this chaotic neutral like it might not actually (laughs) be a bad one but it's certainly not good Um, so there's all the really different interesting takes on demons if you've read a lot of demon books like I think you'll find some new stuff in here and yeah, she just is like a badass, door-kicking, beat-up-the-demons kind of heroine, and her tattoos are also demons. I feel like this is an excellent pick. So that is The Iron Hunt, which is the first book in the Hunter Kiss series by Marjorie Liu.
0: Okay, uh, my first one might be a little obvious, but I really actually like super enjoy the, both the, this book and both movie adaptations. So it's The Girl with a Dragon Tattoo by Stieg Larsson. Elizabeth Salander is the one of the main characters, and she uh, has a dragon tattoo? dot 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 title and a bunch of other tattoos but it's um, the original I think in what am I trying to say the original title is like Men who hate women, right? And then they changed it to the girl with the dragon tattoo for the U.S. audience, which I think is a really interesting factoid. But anyway, um, the actual main character's name is Michael Blumkist. He's a journalist, a financial journalist, who, uh, when the book opens, has just been convicted of like libel or slander. I can't. I don't ever remember the difference. I think libel um, for a story that he did on a big financial baron. Um, and so he is about to go to jail, and he knows that you know his life is falling apart. The magazine. He started is kind of crumbling and then he gets an offer from an old like swedish titan of industry like literally an old man and also from like an old company and a really rich family and this guy wants to this old businessman wants michael to solve a mystery of where his missing niece went like 60 years ago or like 40 years ago, I think. Um, and he has to stay on the island where the old man lives and where the uh, disappearance took place all these years ago. And he's got to find out what happened to this woman uh, because everyone assumes that she's dead. But then this uh, this businessman has uh, been getting every year um, like pressed flowers. That show up in the in the mail mysteriously, which is a thing that the little girl used to give him. So he feels like the if she's dead, then she was murdered, and the murderer is out there taunting him. And he like well, just wants to know what happened to her. And so uh, Michael, I think it's Mikhail actually, whatever, uh, enlists the help of Elizabeth Salander, who is such a great character. She's um, like super goth, hacking genius with a lot of uh, like personal issues, and she's a. Um, a victim in a lot of ways, like of, of a lot of sexual violence and of a horrible childhood. She's a ward of this state. Um, she's considered like not able to care for herself by the state when in reality she's like a super, super genius. She's got all of these um, tattoos to mark like the hardships of her life. And so she teams up with Bloomkist to solve this mystery. Um, and she is just such a, she's such a great character. And the book was a huge bestseller, but I think like for good reason, but it is, you know, trigger warnings at the wazoo. Cause it's just, you know, the original title was men who I hate women. So there's a lot of, a lot of violence of every variety in it. Um, so yeah, that's the girl with the dragon tattoo by Steve Glarson.
1: I did not know that about the title. That's Yeah, isn't that crazy? That is crazy. It makes a whole lot of sense. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because
0: that's exactly what the book is about. Pretty
1: much. Okay, my second pick is Wicked, or excuse me, Ink Exchange, which is technically book two in the Wicked Lovely series by Melissa Marr. This was my favorite. I mean, this series is a whole lot of fun. Um, I guess I picked two fantasy ones for you. Sorry, not sorry. Um, but th- it's about the struggle between two rival fairy courts. Um, there's the, you know, sunny court and then the winter court. I can it's summer, not sunny. What is happening mm. to my brain? And um, and then, but this book is kind of like a side note. Um there is a, there's, there's a, okay, so I'm like getting ahead of myself. The, yeah, we're both just having fun. <laughs> Words. The, the main character is a girl named Leslie who's 17, um, and she just wants a tattoo. She sees this tattoo in the window of a shop, and so she gets it. And then it turns out that that tattoo magically links her to the head of this dark fairy court. And I will just say, really messed up things happen in this book. This is a dark, dark book. It is not a happy book. Um, But what I love about it is that it explores all of that darkness in a really interesting way Um, and I just thought Leslie was an amazing character she really kind of goes through this thing where I mean she's been tied to this you know king basically of a court and so she doesn't have a lot of options and the way that she works through her limited options is really awesome to watch Um, and I mean it's a really cool concept like magical tattoos are obviously a thing I'm into Um, Mm -hmm. and uh, yeah I just I mean I, I don't think that you actually have to to read the whole series, although you should. Um, but I think this one kind of stands on its own as just a really great story um, about the darkness that people can live through and how they decide to handle it. So that is Ink Exchange by Melissa Marr.
0: Okay, my second pick for you is Bitch Planet by Kelly Sue DeConnick and Valentine DeLandrew, what will be... Who will be up right live. live um, and is
1: doing Pictionary. Yes, is that right. he's doing Pictionary with Sarah C. Anderson, which is going to be amazing. Also, mm-hmm. so, this, is, such a good this time. is the part where we mentioned that we both have bitch planet tattoos. <laughs> yes,
0: <laughs> we do. Um, so this is a comic um, and which I'm probably you've probably heard of. But it is like a modern reimagining of 1970s exploitation films. Um, so like women in prison being badass kind of a thing. Um, So this takes place in the future and not terribly removed from our own future or from our own world, to be that honest. And in this um, near future, a woman's failure to comply with uh, stereotypical gender norms and with uh, a very overtly patriarchal society gets her arrested and sent to a penal planet called colloquially called bitch planet and when they um are sent to this planet they're branded or tattooed with an nc which means non-compliant and this is the tattoo that jen and i both have and so does rebecca and i'm and i think there's yeah several
1: other rioters so yeah like a lot
0: of people in the have the non-compliant tattoo a lot of people in the world yep. have it actually it's become kind of like a a, a thing um a marker of your people, if you will. And so in the first um, five issues, which are collected in the first graphic novel, which is called Extraordinary Machine, or the first trade edition, whatever, um, a new crop uh, of prisoners arrive at the planet, on the on Bitch Planet, and you follow their backstories um, to find out how they got there. And at the same time that you're doing that, they are being wrangled into participating in what's basically like a gladiator-style uh, deathmatch game that's going to be televised um, throughout the galaxy. So they have to figure out how they're going to survive that. And also how they're just going to survive, you know, being in on a prison planet with horribly violent guards and uh, lots of oppression and all of that. So, yeah, it's, it's just so excellent. The art is really well done. It's very intersectional. If you don't, you can, I mean, like, read it in the trade if you... Um, don't have access to a comic shop or whatever but if you do get it in single issues the essays in the back of each issue are amazing um uh, from modern feminists who are writing and doing interesting things uh in the world of activism and art uh so yeah they're worth checking out either way um so that's bitch planet volume one extraordinary machine by kelly sue DeConnick and val Delanger.
1: okay it's me
0: Uh, Question two, (laughs) this is for Matt and he says, I am way too fixated on the presidential election and I need some political novels to help get me through the next month. Maybe some fiction will help me feel a little better about what's happening in reality. I'm thinking political intrigue and backstabbing, but not really espionage or military or that kind of thing. More Ides of March than Vince Flynn. Anything from national to local small town politics. All right.
1: You go ahead. Okay. Uh, (laughs) My first pick for you is a near future sort of um, election punk novel called Infomocracy by Malcolm Older. You may have heard me recommend it before. I think I, although I checked in it, it sounded like I've only done it once before, so not (laughs) sorry. Also, this book is so perfect for this election cycle. Like, I'm not going to shut up about it anyway, (laughs) but, like, really, truly, this is the book that you've been wanting to read this election cycle. So... It takes place um, 20 years after this whole new system of democracy has been instituted around the world called micro-democracy, where people live in 100,000-person segments and you vote on what happens in your little segment, which is called the Sentinel. Um, So, like, you know, your neighbors five miles up the road could have a completely different government than you, depending on how the lines are drawn for your Sentinel. And so, and then the different characters... Um, are what makes this so great. There's a guy who is uh, part of a campaign staff and he's like doing, you know, poll work and research and all of the opposition research and all of that stuff. Um, there's a woman named Mishima who is, uh works for quote-unquote information, which is like this public uh, organization entity that was set up to provide the voting public with actual factual information. Um, Their job is supposed to be facts without spin, uh, is, like, their goal. So, um, and she works for them, but she's also, like, a covert covert operative. She's amazing. Um, And then there's this guy who's, like, a punk dissenter who thinks that the whole system is rigged anyway. And, like, there's all of these different takes on what it means to be democratic, uh, which I think is a really interesting question and it's not often you get that question in a book that's also got like knife fights um, (laughs) and like, you know, cool future tech there's some really fun future technology in here. Uh, It's just a really enjoyable, action-packed book to begin with, but I do think that she is super thoughtful about what it means to be a voter, what it means to have a democracy, what it means to find a voice, like all of these things. She's thinking about these questions, which are questions we're all thinking about too. Uh, So it feels like the right book for this moment in time. So that is Infomocracy by Malka Older.
0: Okay, my first pick for you is Casual Vacancy by J.K. Rowling, which is, yes, uh, Harry Potter, um, but it's a really big, giant, like, 500-page book about small-town politics, but um, it's Takes place in England, obviously. So it's I think far enough removed, maybe, from the election stuff that it might it might give you a little bit of a mental break. Though this is like it's a tough it's a tough read. So um, it takes place in a town called Pagford, which is like this very idyllic kind of English countryside sort of little town. You know they have like cobblestone streets and a market square and the pub and all of that sort of thing. Um, and, but what they also have is a section of town called the fields, which is government housing um, where the poor people live. And, about, and they have like drug problems in, with that section of town and some crime. Um, they also, Peckford also has a methadone clinic for recovering uh, heroin addicts. Um, and, The town council has been debating whether or not to shunt those parts of town off to the next township so that they don't have to deal with it anymore. Um, And they also have a a rising immigrant population, um, which some people on the town council consider to be just as much of an evil as having a methadone clinic in town. Um, And so one of the um, town councilors, Barry, his name is Barry, (laughs) Fairbrother, which is like subtle, JK, super subtle, fair brother, um, dies, <laughs> he has like a, a heart attack or an aneurysm or something uh, at the opening of the book. And so there's a seat left open on this town council. And the, the town is very divided uh, into people who want to keep uh, the fields um, and the methadone clinic as part of the town and improve upon it and improve upon the conditions and, you know, help the, the poor and help the people with drug problems overcome and improve their education and all that. So there's that, those people, and then on the other side are the very conservative, priggish, close-minded people who want to shunt it off because they don't like dealing with the poors, basically. Um, it's it's not, it's like very not thinly veiled, um, what am I sharing, sure? it, it's a, a excoriating, ex, is that a noun? What's the noun version of excoriating? Uh, condemnation, it's a very yes, not thinly you. veiled condemnation of super right wing English politics, which I think reading right now would be very satisfying (laughs) considering our current uh, climate. So that's The Casual Vacancy by J.K. Rowling. And also um, lots of trigger warnings for this one too. There's, um, it's tough. Like it's, it's, she's not pulling punches uh, when she's trying to show the kind of real life consequences of the discompassionate nature of very far right wing uh, political theories as they play out in people's actual
1: lives. So yeah, I cried a lot. Yeah, I cried a
0: lot and I got like really angry and almost didn't make it through because it's it's a hard read, but it's yeah. so good. Um so yeah, casual vacancy. Yeah,
1: Ooh. that's an incredibly depressing book, but I really did love it. Um, yeah. <laughs> I will never read it again. <clears> no, I'm glad never, that I did. Never, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, my second book uh, for you is An Alternate History by Philip Roth. Who knew? Uh, it's The Plot Against America. I'm actually not a huge Roth fan, but I love alternate history. And um, this book is uh, timelier than I would like. Um so the plot is that in 1940, Charles Lindbergh, like the aviator slash father of the Lindbergh baby, et cetera, um, is elected president in this timeline. And after that, he negotiates a sort of peace with Hitler and the new U.S. government starts like a very thinly veiled anti Semitism campaign. Um and it's a so the narrator is this boy growing up in Newark, um, and this is like basically what his life is like with this change in the election uh outcome of American history. And um what I think is so interesting about this book is that it is very like it feels very personal because of the way the narration is set up, but there's so much politicking and intrigue that you see going on, um, even regardless of that. Like it's it it is very there's all this crazy stuff that happens, um, and you're just like what? Uh, and it, I thought it was really well done. I thought it was very readable. I thought it was really interesting, um, and I think that it is. It isn't. It's. I mean, it's. If you can't, like, if it's hard to deal with current politics, sometimes it's helpful to look and, like, what would America have been like if this had happened instead? Like, look back a little bit to look forward, I guess, is how that makes sense in my head. I don't know. That's just my take on it. But I do think this is a very readable book, and it is certainly um, a a historical thing that could have happened. It could have happened. Uh, So that is The Plot Against America by Philip Roth.
0: <clears throat> okay, um, my second pick for you is Primary Colors by Anonymous. <laughs> uh, more on that in a minute. And this <laughs> is a uh, its a novel about a political campaign. So the main character's name is Henry. He's a, congressional, a former congressional aide, and he's joined a presidential campaign of a, a Southern governor named Jack uh, Stanton. And so the plot follows Stanton as he goes on the campaign trail, starts off in New Hampshire. And when they're in New Hampshire, it's revealed that he's had an affair, that Stanton has had an affair with his wife's hairdresser. And uh, also he participated in some Vietnam War protests. The stuff starts to come to light and begins to like derail his whole campaign. So Stanton turns out to be kind of like way greasier than Henry Burton thought he was, he starts to spin his Democratic opponent as uh, being, like, pro-Palestine instead of pro-Israel and, like, starts to malign his... uh, different views on the issues in ways that aren't necessarily accurate so britain becomes like more and more disillusioned with him uh, especially as he like follows him on his day-to-day campaign life and sees him being like overly flirtatious with women and being like obnoxiously loud and talking over people um and like he shows all the different ways he's kind of insincere about his policy stances and is sort of just saying the thing that he thinks is gonna help him win and then there's a big like climaxing that I'm not going to go into because it's, well, it's not even necessarily a spoiler because this book, this novel is a very, very thinly, not thinly veiled retelling of the Clinton's first presidential campaign. And it was written, it was published anonymously, but in reality, it was written by Joe Klein, who was a uh, a journalist who was following the Clintons on uh, the campaign trail. So it's like, I think such a great pick for reading right now. I mean, like, hashtag I'm with her, like, so hard. I don't necessarily have much of a fandom for Bill so I think, that, uh, and I think a lot of people are like kind of with me there that Bill's a little not so great um, and uh, so if you want like to I don't know maybe step out of the fray of uh, this current campaign and look back on a fictionalization that's not really fictionalization of a campaign from the past that cannot affect what's happening right now because it's over yay um so maybe less stress i don't know or maybe more stress because you know that it's actually the clinton's go with god (laughs) i don't know how it will affect you but it it applies to what you're asking for so that's primary colors by anonymous and you can still buy it as by anonymous uh, wherever you go but it's the the actual author is uh joe klein so no matter what you ask where they should be able to find it for you your local bookseller
1: okay all right Next question is from Jane. I'm looking for a recommendation for my husband. He works in politics and has been extremely busy, stressed out, and hasn't had any time for relaxation since August. Haha. Ha. Um, I want to get him some books that he can look forward to in his post-election day fun employment. He typically reads nonfiction. Um, his true love is his true reading love is food. He enjoys reading food memoirs and cookbooks, especially if the book does a deep dive into a certain type of regional cuisine. Um, I'm looking for something that maybe didn't get a lot of buzz when it came out. Uh, books that he's read recently and loved have included Eating Vietnam, Padma Lakshmi, Lakshmi's Memoir, L.A. Sun, the two graphic novels, Kitchens, of the Great Midwest, and everything by or about Anthony Bourdain. Please know more Anthony Bourdain. <laughs> uh, any help you can give will be much appreciated, be it fiction, nonfiction, or cookbook. Okay. Um, I have recommendations for you. I mean, we both do. So, my first pick is a book that I read when it first came out in, I want to say, like, 2007? It's been a while. Um, And I don't think it got that big, so he may not have heard of it. It's called Heirloom Notes from an Accidental Tomato Farmer by Tim Stark. And... It's kind of like a Michael Pollan, Barbara Kingsolver book in that it's 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 a memoir, but it's about like how food changes your life. Um, it's about a guy who was a management consultant. He was like writing stories at night, kind of miserable in his job. And he he was living in Brooklyn, and one night he found a dumpster full of discarded lumber and carried it home and built a German re- germination rack for heirloom tomato seedlings, like you do. Um, mm-hmm. And so he, and then, like, it went so well that he, like, he outgrew his, you know, Brooklyn brownstone tomato farming, um took the seedlings to his family's farm in Pennsylvania and then became, like, a a farmer's market guy. Um, And so, and now, like, he has a very successful business um, and, you know, chefs use his tomatoes, but, like, he didn't start out like, a farmer who thought he was going to be, like, an heirloom tomato czar. That is not who he thought he was going to be. So it's a really interesting story about, like, finding what it is that you want to do with your life and, you know, the different ways that we stumble upon things that can totally change our lives. Um, And I thought the writing was really good. I really enjoyed it. It definitely made me look at tomatoes in a different way, which is not a thing I thought was going to happen to me. Um, So that's Heirloom by Tim Stark.
0: Okay. Um, my first one for you is Relish by Lucy Nicely.
1: Nicely, man, I never say this right. Is that right? I actually think it might be. I don't know. I can, I've can. i been told, like, 14 times how to say it, and she was at Book Riot Live last year, and I still don't know how to say her name.
0: I know. We're, this is whatever. But, you know, the nature of reading is that you very rarely say the things out loud. So, uh, this is a graphic novel um, that I just love, and I think I've recommended once before, but it's a... M- graphic memoir i think would be more accurate so lucy was the, the daughter of a chef and um and also like both one of her parents was a chef the other one i don't remember which one it's been a while but the other one was a food, like a foodie you know quote unquote so she grew up in a very food centric kind of house all of her parents friends were like artsy chef cooks um you know sous chefs so this was like her childhood and every chapter in this graphic memoir is like a key food centered episode or uh, memory from her childhood growing up. And so they include um, illustrations. Every, ch- I mean, illustrated recipes, rather. Every chapter is kind of bookended with an illustrated uh, recipe. And so they're actually, like, really easy to follow. So it's part cookbook, part illustrated cookbook, which I appreciate uh, the illustrations, because I need pictures when I'm trying to cook. Um, and part memoir uh so you the recipes are actually really great i read this last year for book riot live uh, in preparation for seeing her and i made some of the recipes out of it because um, i couldn't help myself yeah. and and they're great and her stories about her childhood are all really charming um there's a lot of i don't i never know the right thing to say about memoirs characters like the cast of secondary characters in her life <laughs> i guess are they're like um all quirky and fun um and I don't want to say like kind of precious, but not in an Anne of Green Gables annoying way. And just like a nice, charming, fun way that will make you hungry. Um, So yeah, so that's Relish, uh, My Life in the Kitchen by Lucy Nicely.
1: My second pick for you came up when I was talking about this question with our Book Riot Comics editor, Swapna Krishna, and she mentioned this book, The Language of Baklava by Diana abu jaber who I read her fiction but didn't realize she would written a memoir, so I started it, and it is so good. Um, it's a memoir with recipes. Uh, it does not have pictures, sorry. <laughs> but it's about growing up with her Jordanian immigrant father, Um In America, and like the ways in which cooking really shaped his relationship both to their family and to uh, America. Um, And it's so, oh my gosh, it's such a fun read. She's just so playful and like, I want to say sprightly like the language is really fun and engrossing like it's immediately you feel like you're sitting down like over dinner or drinks with a friend and there are friends who tell really good stories and they're telling you all these stories about their dad like and what it was like to grow up in this family it's just so wonderful I'm loving it so much um and, and, yeah, the recipes look delicious. I'm actually a terrible cook, so I'm not going to try to make any of them. I'm a good baker, but I'm a bad cook. Um, <laughs> and so I probably won't make too many of them. But I'm really enjoying reading about them. Uh, she just has such a way with, with the storytelling and, and with the food description. Oh, man, I, like, want to eat all of the things in this book. So that is The Language of Baklava by Diana Abu-Jabber.
0: Okay, my second one is Voracious. Uh, a Hungry Reader Cooks Her Way Through Great Books by Kara Nicoletti. Um, and it's got great illustrations also. So the, also, I, I've noticed a theme. This is also part memoir, part cookbook. So Kara is uh, a, grew up reading a lot. She was a bookworm and she kind of grew up in her grandfather's butcher shop. And as an adult, she also works as a butcher and a cook um, and is still a reader. And so this book is about the meals in her There's 50. There are 50, 50 favorite books that have caught her attention over the course of her life, and her, um, I guess, experiments and trying to recreate them in her own kitchen. So it's some stuff that you never would imagine, like. She does, like, you know, breakfast sausage from Little House on the Prairie kind of a thing. Um, but she also does the, like, the cupcakes mentioned in the corrections, like the Jonathan <laughs> Um And there's some brown butter crepes that she makes that she read about in Gone Girl, which I totally don't have any recollection of at all. Um, but then she does some more recognizable stuff, like she, she makes the clam chowder that's uh, in, that's mentioned in Moby Dick, which I do, I do remember. Um, and she also makes some fava bean and chicken liver mousse. That uh, that's inspired by the Silence of the Lambs. Oh Uh, wow! Oh no! I know (laughs) know. (laughs) it's so good. Um, So I feel like uh, despite the fact that this is listed as like a memoir, I I I feel like it's more of a cookbook because there's only like three or four pages of story about each book, and then you get a couple of recipes from the book. So. it's more heavy on the food, but it's such an interesting angle. I mean, she's not the first one to do, like, literary cookbook or, or, or literary meals or how what this book meant to me kind of memoir stuff. But um, that she pulls out, like, soft-boiled eggs that she read about in the opening scene of Emma. <laughs> you know, like, these food scenes in books that just completely escaped mine and i feel like most readers attention but she fixates on them and then spends all this time recreating them in her own kitchen it's just really fascinating and it kind of makes you look at your favorite books uh in a new way so that's voracious by Kara nicoletti okay it me yes okay this is from hanya and she says i've read next to nothing in the mystery genre aside from sherlock holmes it's just not my wheelhouse but i'm a huge fan of veronica mars Recently, I binged the first two seasons and fell in love all over again, and now I want more. I'd love if you could recommend some books similar to Veronica Mars. It would be a plus if it involves teenagers, but not necessary. I would, however, like the books to maybe have a little dose of romance a la Veronica and Logan. I recently started reading A Study in Charlotte because of the show, and I'm really enjoying it so far, and it's scratching some itches. I'm all the way here for a modern Sherlock and Watson. Okay. Um, I will just keep going. Okay, so my first one is Scarlet Undercover by Jennifer Latham. And this is about a 16-year-old girl named Scarlet. Obviously, she's Muslim American. She's super smart, like graduated from high school two years early and is now... Working kind of as a private investigator, she puts like she puts up flyers around schools and stuff, and like helps kids. Um, but she's also like solved an actual murder, um, and so uh, with the help of like a cop friend, so she's like doing the thing. Like she's a serious private. eye, super smart. Um, and then one day, a nine-year-old girl comes to her asking for help solving the mystery of her bro- her older brother's death. Her older older brother's death is ruled a suicide, but this little girl does not believe that that's true. And so Scarlett goes off to find. Out what happened to help this little girl Um, and it turns out that there's a lot of her uh, own family secrets are kind of wrapped up in this situation unexpectedly her own father was murdered and the fact that she hasn't been able to solve that the murder of her father has really um, you know kind of been eating at her and then she discovers some connections there's also like maybe some supernatural stuff involved and like ancient curses and like some cultural stuff from her uh, her family's culture gets wrapped up in the whole thing And there's, like, a little dose of of romance, just a little. Um, But mostly it's about, like, Scarlet being a super genius and solving possibly supernatural, you don't know, maybe, uh, murders. Um, So, yeah, it's very uh, voice-driven. So, like, if the thing you like about Veronica Mars is how, like, snarky and funny and witty she is, then you will really like this because she's got that same kind of voice. Um, And it's, I feel, like, hard to nail that in a teenager without being obnoxious or,
1: like, know-it-all-y. But she... Avoids it. So, yay. So, that's Scarlet <laughs> Undercover by Jennifer Latham. Um, my first pick for you is sort of like Veronica Mars of uh, movie age, like grown up Veronica Mars. Um, it's The Spellman Files, which is book one in the Spellman series by Lisa Lutz. And the main character is Izzy Spellman, who is 28. And she is not, like, doing the best at life, per se. She is, she's, like, you know, too smart for her own good. Um, And she grew up in a family of investigators so she has always had let's say a very laissez-faire relationship to actual law um like why go in a door when you can go in a window uh and so um but she's very good at her job as a licensed PI like she's very good at invading other people's privacy um and sometimes this works out and sometimes it doesn't and like these are the stories of what it's like to be that kind of person um and, uh, in this, in this first one, she gets basically hired by her family to, um, follow another family member because there's like this thing going on with family stuff and they don't really understand what's going on. Um, and also she's dating this guy and there's like a big fight over whether or not anybody's allowed to look at his, like, personal history because of course that's the first like if you're in a family of private investigators like imagine every boyfriend you've ever had comes under like intense scrutiny and it's kind of ruined a lot of her relationships and so she's trying to protect this new relationship but like who knows if that's going to work out so It's got a lot of the, like it's got the family dynamics of Veronica Mars like times 11 because there's all of these different family members involved. Um, So it's not just like Veronica and her dad. It's like a whole family of these kinds of things. Um, And Izzy is super snarky and like, yeah, not so much about the rules, but like trying to be a good person and not sure, not always sure how to do that. Uh, So I think that this would scratch that same itch. So that is The Spellman Files by Lisa Lutz.
0: Okay, my second pick for you is Batgirl Volume One by Cameron Stewart and Brendan Fletcher and etc. A bunch of other people. Uh, volume One is called Batgirl of Burnside. I love this. I know it's
1: so. Pretty. It's really it's good. so much fun. Yeah.
0: Um, so this was a kind of a New Fifty Two reboot of the Batgirl series that it started coming out like I think last year. So Volume One um is five or six issues, uh, and it's. Like, how to explain? Okay, so Marvel and DC have both been doing this kind of like grimdark thing with their superheroes where there's just like lots of violence and sexual violence and everything is dark and scary and everybody's got all this angst. And they, when they rebooted Batgirl, they took it in an entirely different direction, which, thank God, because like, I'm getting so tired <laughs> of that kind of thing. Like, yes, we get it. Everyone's an orphan. Everyone has pain. Can we like have any fun with comic books anymore? Anyway, so Barbara Gordon is um, D- Detective Gordon? I never remember what his... Chief? whatever um commissioner thank you yes it's commissioner gordon's daughter who in this iteration is a college student who has moved to brooklyn essentially um in gotham city which is the the Burnside in gotham city is brooklyn in, in new york if you get the yeah so she moves out there after everything that she owns is like destroyed in a fire so she moves in with a friend and is just trying to like live her life, right? Like, she's she's having college student problems. Like, she, her friend is getting married, and she's got to help plan the wedding, and she has to pass her classes. She is also kind of a super genius, so she's dealing with that kind of stuff. And she is also a Batgirl, so she is a crime-fighting hero. Um, and so she goes on to do those things, like, live her life and also fight crime. And this is... It's so fun and, like, hopeful. And Barbara is... Um, Like, the side characters are great. Her relationships with her friends are really great. And it is a lot about that, about how she manages to maintain her friendships while at the same time being a hero. They incorporate social media in, like, a fun uh, way. The cast of characters is really diverse. Um, It's just, it, it like, lacks all of that heavy angstiness that a lot of superhero comics have had uh, recently without giving up on any of the importance of the stuff that she's dealing with. Um, So she has, like, real problems in her life and she has real uh, crimes to solve that are violent and bad but it, it, it's got i don't know it's got like just a more fun and hopeful kind of tone which i appreciate and obviously this is like aimed at i hate this word i'm sorry but it's like aimed at millennials so she's got you know like a smartphone and all of that kind of stuff <laughs> and the costume is awesome <laughs> uh if you can find yellow duck martins god bless you mm. so that's batgirl volume one the batgirl of burnside uh by cameron stewart and brendan fletcher
1: All right. I did want to give you a YA recommendation. And so I was talking to our resident YA expert, Kelly Jensen, who runs the YA newsletter, BT dubs. Um, and (laughs) she was telling me about far from you by Tess sharp, which seems like a perfect match for this. Um, it's about a girl named Sophie who, uh, her best friend has died. So like obvious Veronica Mars parallel right there. Um, and everybody believes that she died in a drug deal gone wrong. Um, and they think that Sophie set up the deal because Sophie is a recovering drug addict. Uh, but that's not what happened. Sophie knows that that's not true. Um, and now she's she's like just gotten out of rehab, uh, triggered by this the death of her friend. And so she's like finally able to go and try to hunt down the person who she believes killed her best friend. Um, and to prove to everybody that it's not what they think happened. So it's a lot of like that, like trying to solve the mysteries of your own life, which Veronica Mars has. Um, it deals with a lot of things. Uh, there's, uh, it is, it has a bisexuality element to it. Um, it deals with addiction, obviously it's got like a ton of stuff going on. Um, and it also has that thing which I did love about Veronica Mars. How would you get you would get these periodic like flashbacks to what her life was like before all of the stuff went down? Um, and that Test Sharp does that as well. You get like you gradually get snippets, not just of the night that her friend died, but also of why this person was so important to her and, like, what their relationship was like and how it became, you know, the biggest part of her life. Um, So I think this would really fit the bill as well. So that is Far From You by Tess Sharp.
0: Okay. Um, Before we go on to the fifth question, we're going to do our second sponsor. So, this is Deadly Silence by Rebecca Zanetti, which is the first book in a new series uh, called The Blood Brothers. And this is great. So, this is a romantic suspense, which is like a subgenre of romance that I did not realize existed until very recently when one of our contributors did a post. Um, wrap, I have book recommendations for the genre um, so it's you know a mystery thriller wrapped up in, in, a, in a romance so the two main characters are Riker Jones and Zara Remington I love the name Riker Jones that's such a great name for a romance hero so, <laughs> so Riker Jones is a uh, investigator like a private eye he runs the Lost Bastards investigative agency um, with a bunch of his uh, cohorts He they lose a client in a very like brutal and violent way Um, He's got a lot of secrets from his past that are resurfacing and he's trying really hard to like not fall in love with Zara, who's a paralegal that he's working with to solve the mystery of what happened to the client that he lost. Um, Zara, like I said, is a paralegal. She's, like, way in over her head in this situation. She's doing stuff at work that she knows, like, is risking her job in order to solve this mystery. She's having an affair with this PI. Um, She knows that there's a lot about himself and about this uh, mystery that Riker's not telling her. And the more that she, like, uncovers, the less interested she becomes in him. Like, the less she wants to do with him or the entire um, situation and solving it and figuring out what's going on. And then, like, all hell breaks loose and there's this big... Um, climactic, not to make a romance pun, uh, situation. <laughs> I know. Thank you. <laughs> uh, where she she gets um, she gets involved in like a really dangerous part of the situation, and Riker might be the only one who can save her. And he's decided he will destroy anything, do anything to keep her safe. Um, so if his past and his secrets don't catch up with him first, he has to like go save her, and it's just ah, suspense and all this stuff that's going on. Um, and so Rebecca Zanetti is. A huge best-selling author. Her, this, and this is a spinoff of the Sin Brothers series, which is like a beloved series of hers for her fans. So if you like Maya Banks or Lisa Jackson or Sandra Brown, then you will enjoy this. If you like action-packed thrillers, you will enjoy this. Also, Big Dose of Romance. So that's Deadly Silence by Rebecca Zanetti.
1: Thank you for sponsoring the show. Okay, Okay. question five. Oh, this one was so... I have, like, a feeling about this question. Okay,
0: (laughs) she's got some feelings.
1: I have some feelings. (laughs) So this question is from Sally. Uh, I'm looking to clean and clear out my TBR list and make room for some new adventures. Specifically, I'm in search of strong female protagonists asserting themselves or seeking revenge, a la Luckiest Girl Alive and the Passenger. I'm also open to burning down trailer parks and running over no good men. I'm open to fiction or nonfiction YA or adult lit. I yeah, I, don't, I only have one book, pick and a rant, so you go first. Okay. <laughs> yeah. One pick and a rant. All
0: right, so my first... I had trouble with this one, too. You would think that it would be, like... Yes! I you, feel like if anyone would know... I know! <laughs> picks for this I book, know. it would be us, like, Women Burning Down, No Good Men. I feel like I should have more. um But I d- couldn't think of anything, so I took it to the contributors, so I've got... One that I finally thought of, and then one from uh, Terza, who's one of our contributors. She recommends Sweet Girl by Travis Mulhauser. And this is, mm, it's kind of YA, not YA. In the same way that like Winter's Bone has a teenage protagonist, but it's not necessarily a young adult because wool violent. This is that sort of thing. Um, So this takes place in... Michigan in northern Michigan during a blizzard so like super cold the main character's name is Percy she's a 16 year old girl her mother is a meth head who has relapsed so Percy's got is like going searching for her mother who she knows is off um high somewhere um she's got to find her and bring her home before this blizzard hits because you know northern Michigan a blizzard ain't no joke she could very well die so she goes to her friend Shelton's cabin Shelton is her mother's dealer um and she doesn't find her mother there She finds a dead dog, uh, Shelton and his girlfriend passed out, totally stoned, and a baby uh, who is alive by an open window who is like starting to get snowed on. So Percy decides she's going to save this baby. Like obviously these two adults are not in any condition to take care of this child. If she leaves the baby there, it's obviously going to die. So she takes the baby and runs off, like runs off to save her. Uh, But of course she's 16 and doesn't have any idea what she's doing, uh, and so as she escapes and like tries to go on this trek to save this child, Shelton eventually wakes up and like gathers together a band of criminals and chases after her uh, to what he thinks. And this is where it's interesting. What he thinks like is to, he thinks he's the hero, right? Like he's off, he's going off to save his baby, but in real life. He's an awful human being and totally no good. Very running over no good men kind of thing happening here in literal like trailer parks, like you asked for. Um, And so you have you're following Percy through this like actual blizzard as she tries to save herself and this child from this like band of no good drug addicts. Um, And in the middle of Michigan randomly, which I felt like such an interesting choice for. this book. So that's Sweet Girl by Travis Mulhall.
1: Yeah, I felt like there, this question drives me crazy for two reasons. One is that I feel like I know the perfect book and it's like on the tip of my tongue, but I just can't think of what it is. So that feeling is going to bother me literally forever um, until I figure out what is the book that I want to recommend to you, but I can't think of. Um, and the second reason is that so many of the books I could think of, of like wor- women burning down stuff, was that it was like they were kind of like, doing it under the auspices of a man's bigger mission. Like, I thought of all these books, I was like, oh, but she's doing it, like, she's basically an employee doing it for this guy. And the other thing that is a really strong trope is vengeance-turned-love. Like, there's all of these women in both YA and uh, grown-up fiction who go off to, like, kill somebody and then fall in love with them. And, like, that's that's an interesting trope for other reasons, but it's not what you're asking for. And so I just, like, got very, like, I, I, like, I spent so much time thinking about this question, and all I have for you is one pick, so, like, sorry. Um, <laughs> and if you're listening and you can think of books that are actually vengeance narratives about women that, like, are truly about the women, like, I would love to read those books. Okay, so my pick for you is... Burn for Burn by Vivian, or excuse me, by Sh- I'm like mashing their names together by Jenny Han and Siobhan Vivian Um, I have a soft spot in my heart for like Gossip Girl and Pretty Little Liars like teenage girls behaving super badly is a thing I kind of love and this is that kind of thing so it's about this place called Jar Island which is like you know Hamptonsy. like there's tourist shops and beautiful beaches and oceanfront homes and then these three friends who are plotting revenge um Kat is sick and tired of being bullied by the girl who she thought was her best friend. Lilia has been trying to look out for her little sister. And then she discovers that one of her guy friends has been hooking up with her sister. And she's like not having it. And then Mary is haunted by this traumatic event from her past. And the boy who is responsible for her trauma has never had any consequences. So they team up. To execute, like, to help each other execute their revenge fantasies. Um, and this is the first in a series, the whole series. So if, you know, teenage girls, like, wreaking havoc sounds good to you, this series is definitely a good pick. Uh, and the first one is called Burn for Burn, and that's by Jenny Han and Siobhan Vivian.
0: Teenage Girls Wreaking Havoc is my favorite. (laughs) I have just realized. (laughs) It's so good, right? Thank you. (laughs) Okay, my second pick for you is literally just a girl seeking vengeance. So it's True Grit by Charles Portis, which is a classic. A classic Western and just a regular old classic. And I just love it so much. The main character's name is Maddie. She's 14. Uh, She lives in Arkansas. And her father was shot and killed by a no-good so-and-so by the name of Tom. And so Maddie, who I will reiterate, is 14, decides she's going to travel to this town in Arkansas where her father was killed, find Tom, and take her vengeance. Like, not yell at him, not try and get her father's money back. Like, she's going to exact revenge. She's the most, like, clear-eyed, plucky character that I have ever read, like, up until that point or since. She's so good. So she somehow manages to manipulate every adult, especially every adult male that she encounters, not through, like, weird weirdness or anything sketchy, but just because she's, like, smarter than all of them, which is so great. So um, true. She somehow manages to, like, get a hotel room. She manages to get a horse. She manages to convince um, Rooster Cogburn, who's, like, a US, the U.S. Marshal, who she decides is gonna help her because she heard that he has true grit um, and is, like, man enough for her job. <laughs> just, I love her so much. So she convinces Rooster Cogburn, a U.S. Marshal, to take time out of his life and go help her find this guy who shot and killed her father. And so they do. They like go off on this adventure, um, so that Maddie can can avenge her father's blood, basically. And the story is being told is narrated by Maddie forty years after the fact. So she's. Is still, like, she's an old maid, she goes to church, she's no-nonsense, has no patience, no sense of humor whatsoever, but she still manages to be, like, the most excellent character who outwits everyone she encounters in order to do this thing that like in a no-nonsense... It's almost like she doesn't even care that her father is dead. She just cares that like someone has committed an injustice and it must be righted. And it is within my power to do that thing. So I'm going to go do that thing. Like she's totally unemotional about it. And I just love it. I just love it. And also the adaptation with Jeff Bridges is totally worth seeing. Not so much the original adaptation. Because I don't like that one. So that's True Grit by Charles Portis.
1: Cosine. So good. I mean, obviously, Gone Girl also fits the bill, but, like, you've already yeah. read Gone Girl, <laughs> <Yeah>. so... One as <laughs> Anyway.
0: <laughs> okay. Do we have time? Yeah, we got time. Okay, last question. This is from Ashley. She says... What does she say? Uh, the one genre I haven't really been able to find my footing in is science fiction... Of what I read, my favorites seem to lie in the area of science going too far. So, some favorites within this, uh, for me, are Jurassic Park by Michael Crichton and Parasite by Mira Grant. I was wondering if you had any recommendations for where to go next. Okay, I will keep going. So, my first one is The Fold by Peter Klines. And this is, both of my picks are actually like science fiction slash maybe a little bit horror, so do with that information what you will. So the main character's name is Mike. He lives in a small New England town. He's a teacher, kind of just an average dude doing an average life, except he also has a perfect eidetic memory, um, which he's trying to keep secret because it'll, you know, mess up his normal everyday existence. Uh, But then an old friend calls him, an old friend who works for DARPA, a team of scientists in the California desert, and they have discovered or invented something they call the Albuquerque Door, which is um, using like a computer equation and magnets and you know math and sciency stuff. They can fold the dimensions like, fold space-time and shrink distances so that when you can take a single step and you've actually moved, like, several hundred feet. So it's the initial invention in this, in, like, our path, humanity's path to teleportation, basically. And so they ask him to come out and help them vet the invention. They want to wait another year, do some more tests before they release this uh, into the great wide world, which is confusing because it's obviously a world-changing thing, and, and, you know, why wouldn't you want to go out and make money and um, immediately announce this into the world? And so Mike kind of starts to figure out that there's something wrong here. Like, things start to go a little weird with the people who are working on the project. They start to act kind of funny. Um, And then Mike, with his memory, starts to kind of solve the puzzle. And he's pretty sure that if he's right about his theory about what the door is and what's happening to everyone involved in the project, like the world is going to end, kind of thing. Um so he has to save the planet. And I I no more cuz I don't want to tell you what the mystery is. Um but it's scary. Uh, Yeah, and obviously Science Going Too Far, and Cosine on Jurassic Park. That's actually probably my favorite book of all time. So that's The Fold by Peter Coins.
1: All right. I feel like I would be remiss if I did not point you towards Oryx and Crake by Margaret Atwood, the sainted Margaret Atwood. Um, It's the first in the Mad Adam series, which she has been writing since 2004. So one of, to me, the most unnerving things about these books is that she sort of inserts, like, near-future science in Orcs and Crake, which was written in, like, the early 2000s, that has since, like, become 100% fact, and and maybe even was, like, secretly fact at the time she wrote it, but, like, we didn't know it yet, and I, it is just so unnerving. Um, and also, there's stuff in there that's, like, future So, it, it's the story of a future um, in which Mankind has been overwhelmed by a plague, and this guy, Jimmy, who sort of is known as Snowman, um, is, thinks he's the last human. Um, and he is thinking back to his best friend and the woman he loved. And like, it, as you read along, you realize that these people were all very bound up in sort of the death of humanity. Um, and they're, they're not the, he's not the only people. Um, left, there's this sort of new race of, I want to call them humans, because they're basically humans, but they've been, like, they were genetically engineered, and now they're sort of loose, um, and they're, but they're not people in the same way that Jimmy is people. There's a lot of, like, engineered differences, um, but, so, he, like, is, like, sort of their, you know, adopted, you know, human, like, lost human, and he's trying to teach them things, um, because he thinks he knows better <laughs> um, <laughs> and um, I don't know, it's just amazing the the kind of that I mean it, it's so good. um, I actually think that the series it's not that it gets better as it goes along, but in the first book, you're so tied to Jimmy and his view of what happened, and then it sort of opens up in perspective in the later books, which I always really love, like seeing the different angles and you know, getting different perspectives on this this world that she's created that is so weird and strange and unnerving and there's so much um to do with like cloning and you know food supply and medicine and all of the things that we are struggling with now like she has just pushed them to you know their next level uh which is her skill she's so good at it so definitely definitely it is science gone wrong um and that is oryx and crake by margaret atwood
0: She's so prescient, it, like, scares me.
1: Yeah, it's, it's like, it's a little terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh god! I'm like, we are in The Handmaid's Tale right now, right, so I'm so worried
0: right. about, like, 40 years from now, am I going to be in Mad Adam? I don't uh, want to. I know. I don't
1: want to.
0: Okay, um, so my second recommendation is 172 Hours on the Moon by Johan Harstad. So, he's a Norwegian author, and this is also science fiction, or science gone too far, sci-fi, scary, like, horror, YA, but, like horror really (laughs) like the the main characters just happen to be teenagers it's just scary Um, so uh, humanity went to the moon once you know as we have done and NASA has decided to go back and uh, set up a um, kind of colony. For, uh, but to start, they've set up a, an outpost for astronauts to live in. They've selected uh, three teenagers from across the world through a lottery who are going to go with the astronauts up and live on this outpost for a while. It's kind of like a publicity thing. Um, but then when they get there... Uh, they're being chased. <laughs> like there's something on the moon with them. And when you are no longer on your planet and something is chasing you in a horrifying and deadly and secret way, no one can save you or hear you scream. So it becomes fairly obvious that um, when we were on the moon the first time, something terrible happened that was covered up. um, And they've sent these kids back, not necessarily as publicity, but more as guinea pigs. And so you're following each of the three teenagers who were there, who were all there for their own separate reasons. um, As they, well, slowly, kind of quickly actually, figure out that something terrible and wrong is happening, and then try to survive um, before you know help can get there. And it turns out, like what the moon turns out to be, is kind of like mind-boggling and weird. And if you've seen any um, like horrifying, we're stuck in space with a monster, or even like sphere, like we're stuck underwater with a monster, kind of oh, a thing. Oh man! And, like, I, yeah, I like the about cluster. <laughs> Isn't it? oh, it's so like it's this. Sp- side rant sphere is like so cheesy but it like legitimately scared me yeah um uh so that like claustrophobic no escape no control kind of terrifying thing uh is what's happening here and you know astronauts gone wrong the space (laughs) flight gone wrong so that's 172 hours on the moon
1: by his name i've forgotten johan harston That needs to be, like, a a reading list. That needs to be a reading list, Astronauts Gone Wrong. I I would read those books. Okay, my last pick for you is really hard to talk about without spoilers, and I, like, I don't know how much is out in the world now, so I'm going to be super careful, Um, but I don't think if you have, like, heard things already... I don't think it spoils the book to uh, know a little bit more. But I'm going to give you the bare bones version. So it's The Girl with All the Gifts by M.R. Carey. And this is like government experiments gone wrong. Um, It follows a young girl named Melanie who is in this like school, but it's not a school. It's some kind of like lockdown prison for children weird and um all of and she loves her she loves learning she loves like she really loves going to school um she has a favorite teacher but all of the adults seem to be terrified of her and she doesn't really understand why all she wants to do is be like a good girl and learn things um and that is all I'm going to tell you, because this book is bonkers, and it gets so crazy, and I think it's a lot of fun if you know less about it. Um, but if you like the idea of, like, like, there have been a bunch of, you know, like, the passage was also, like, government experiments gone wrong, um, and there are a bunch of these, and I think it's a really interesting trope to play with, but... Um, and this book was just super engaging. At the end, I was like, what? So I think you will enjoy it. Um, it's got a big surprise factor. Um, but even if it doesn't, the narration is so entertaining. Like, it's really interesting to watch Melanie put together all of the things that she's seeing into, like, one coherent narrative. So that is The Girl with All the Gifts by M.R. Carey. Okay, that's our show.
0: Yeah, we did it. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. Please go rate us on iTunes, leave a review. It makes the show easier to find. You can find us on social media. I'm at I'm, I'm at I'm Amanda Nelson. Jen is at Jen IRL, Jen with two N's. And thank you so much to our sponsors. We will talk to you all next week.